0: Welcome to the Pharmacy Future Leaders podcast with your host, Tony Guerra. The Pharmacy Future Leaders is part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, focusing on pharmacy student perspectives, interviews, and the future outlook of our pharmacy industry. This is Sarah Vandywall. I'm a fourth year pharmacy student at the University of Minnesota, and you're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Tony Guerra, for the Pharmacy Future Leaders Podcast, broadcasting from DMax Health and Public Services Building in Ankeny, Iowa. We're going to be talking with innovative new pharmacy practitioners and soon-to-be pharmacy graduates. Connect with me on Twitter at Tony underscore PharmD or visit my Tony PharmD YouTube channel. Find over 700 videos on drug pronunciation, memorization, and the top 200 that support my audiobook, Memorizing Pharmacology. Today, we're talking with Sarah, a fourth year pharmacy student at the University of Minnesota with a primary focus on managed care pharmacy. Last year, her team placed in the top eight nationally, competing in the AMCP National p and Competition. Sarah has held many leadership positions during pharmacy school in Phi Delta Chi and in the Minnesota Pharmacy Student Alliance. Sarah graduated from UW-Madison in 2013 with a degree in genetics. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
1: Well, let's get right into it. Uh, Everyone's leadership road's a little different. Uh, Tell us what you're doing now and how you got there.
0: Yeah, so um, thanks for the question. My leadership road's been very interesting. Right now, I'm focusing on my rotations as a fourth-year student, but during the past three years at, at the University of Minnesota, I've held various leadership positions, as well as before that, during my undergraduate career, um, and, you know, somewhat in high school. But right now I'm, I'm focusing on showing my preceptors that I'm not only competent, but that I'll work to exceed their expectations in tasks that I'm assigned to, um, and in any other way that I can help out the organization where I'm at at the time. So right now I suppose you could say I'm a little L or non-positional leader, since I'm not holding any formal leadership positions right now, but at this point I'm in transition from being a pharmacy student to starting my career as a pharmacist. And as far as my mindset goes, I've already transitioned from the student mindset to the mindset of a pharmacist. Um, In pharmacy school, I worked to seek out opportunities for leadership right, right away. I helped with major fundraising auction for our largest pharmacy student organization during my first year. And then in my second year, I played an instrumental role in the organization of the event. So this auction goes to fund um, our, largest, our largest pharmacy student organizations, um, health fairs, anything that they need for the next academic year. So it's a very important event. And I was able to raise over $22,000 um, as opposed to um, just over 13000 the year before when I was starting to help out. So That's a
1: heck of an increase. Uh, what did you guys do differently <laughs> yeah. or was it your leadership role or what do you think?
0: You know, we, we did have a leadership team. So I was one of, of about four core members of the leadership team. But um, you know, in, in pharmacy, people aren't creative a lot of the times. or It's uh, more rare to come across a creative personality. So um, I incorporated ideas, new ideas that I had, as well as um, my volunteer work with Phi Delta Kai, I volunteered at a St. Jude um, fundraising auction so um, some new things that I suggested adding were um, student coordinator stories of um, things that had a big impact on them or the most meaningful relationship they had with a patient at a health fair or an event or some meaningful impact that they had on the community through the work that they did in this organization. So we had you know, four or five people come up and tell their story uh, how you know they really made an impact? And after that, we said, okay, you know, you just heard from um, this person on how their medical mission trip impacted a community um, abroad. So the average cost of the medical supplies is a hundred dollars. Who's willing to donate a hundred dollars right now?
1: Wow, that's a really. Uh, we had something like that with our fight out the Kai chapter, and again, this is back in the dark ages, back in the early 90s. But when sure. we when we got there. I'm going to say that I exponentially moved it from bake sales to sweatshirts. I met the champion rep at the bookstore and said, wow, could we sell these champion sweatshirts? How would that work out? And I moved us from 100 to 1,000, and I thought I was big stuff. Then about a year or two later, someone decided, well – Camden Yards is across the street I wonder if we can do that so we were at Orioles Park at Camden Yards and Ravens Stadium and then we were talking about uh, money in the five figures uh, also and it sounds mm-hmm. like you took that entrepreneurial innovation uh, did it on a micro scale in school and I'm sure some company eventually or some nonprofit you'll be able to help after school
0: yeah no definitely like you said I borrowed ideas from what St. Jude is doing and you know they're not raising twenty two thousand dollars at these
1: events where we organize. <laughs> not. Yeah. Or
0: we organize volunteers. They raise much more than that. So, hey, you know why we re- reinvent the wheel is what I thought. Um, so that was a great addition because then um, the pharmacists that were present at this fundraising event were able to really see what we're doing in the community and how we're making a difference. And
1: but what kind of leadership I, roles did you hold there and fight out the chi?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And. I also, I held a bunch of different leadership roles within Phi Delta Chi. Um, in my first year, I just had a smaller role reporting back those meeting announcements for the organization where I was involved in the auction um, back to our Phi Delta Chi chapter. And, but I thought, wow, I'm at the end of the meeting. I really have to make this fun. So this is getting back to how I make kind of more mundane things really creative with different ideas. So. I would dress up. I would, you know, uh, relate it to the episode of the last episode of The Bachelor with a fake rose. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, I would roll up a piece of paper and say, Hear ye, hear ye. I just really kind of went to town with it. And people would anticipate, oh, what are you going to do this week?
1: It's exciting. So.
0: That led into um, me securing a position on the executive board as the worthy prelate, which is kind of like a morale booster. So it was like I was doing that sort of thing every week at the beginning of the meeting, um, giving people something to think about, sometimes serious, sometimes, you know, getting up there and doing a skit myself or roping some other um, brothers into it with me. So, yeah, so I had a lot of fun doing that. And then um, before my third year, I ran for the executive board again, and unfortunately didn't get the position that I hoped for. So then I'm um, really interested in scholarship. You know, I'm a, a student at heart. Um, so I worked with the other co-chair of the scholarship committee to really revamp that whole um, committee. And, you know, brothers really took notice. So it wasn't on the executive board. It wasn't the highest position. but. I took the opportunity I was given, and I really made the most of it
1: yeah. with my other brothers along with me. Sounds like it's uh, it was a good fit for you, and uh, something about it being in your DNA, where that's just uh, it. It's yeah. Sometimes the position that we go for isn't the one we get, but the position we end up with is the one that fits who we are. And it sounds right. like you've uh, you just kind of went with whatever and and uh, came out and and were able, was able to serve in a way that was both meaningful to you and, and what really uh, kind of segues into our next thing, which is what, where you get your expertise, what expertise you have. Uh, what do you feel is your area of expertise and maybe two things that we can learn from what you do?
0: Sure. You know, area of expertise, I'm kind of a jack of all trades, but what I've used to my advantage to become an expert in different areas is work ethic. And also, managed care ties into that as another area within the recent um, the recent past that I feel like I've become somewhat of a student expert, at least. Um, You know, in high school when you have to fill out those things of what career should you choose, you know, those hundred question surveys. (laughs) um, You know, then it has a wheel of all these different professions where you fit best. So I took this questionnaire. I spent an hour of my life doing these questions, and then I came out as Region 99, which was the circle in the middle. Meaning I'm so um, you know diverse that I could really do anything. They can't put me in any category.
1: Oh no! So right. what did you what did you take away from it, so or what I direction took away did you, from you go? That yeah.
0: okay. Well, that didn't really give me any direction. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that just goes to um, goes to the point that you know. Really, I, I have a diverse skill set, but the thing that served me the most is my work ethic, um, and that's really led me to become an expert in managed care. And just my story of how i gotten involved in managed care is a good example of how I approach things and how you can learn from my perspective and my strategy in general. So about a year and a half ago, I didn't know all that much about managed care, but my interest was peaked which was key. So last fall, I signed up for all the managed care electives offered, and I became an active participant in our AMCP chapter. So I would go to all the site visits. We have several managed care companies in the Twin Cities, so we're very lucky to have that. and We have a great relationship with them. Um, I attended any lunch lectures when they brought speakers in, anything I could get my hands on to learn more about managed care. And it was a, at about this time last year that I decided to enter the PNT competition. So I signed up with our AMCP uh, chapter president at the time, and then two of my other friends, um, all four of us, decided to you know start this PNT team. So we were really dedicated. We spent our whole winter break, the whole month, in the dungeon of our <laughs> College of Pharmacy. Oh no! No windows, just. <laughs> going through trials, you know, doing a budget impact model, you name it. We spent the whole winter break there. Um, But we were able to win our local competition and then make it to the top eight in the national competition. So we uh, presented again in San Francisco last April. And it was a really great experience. But um, for me, presenting wasn't kind of a finale as much of a, a springboard to really dive farther into managed care. Um, So I, really made a lot of connections at that meeting, learned as much as I could from all the lectures at the AMCP annual meeting. And recently, I attended AMCP Nexus in Washington, D.C., where I continued to explore managed care concepts and network and teach. As I, I'm a self-teacher at this point. That's what rotations have taught me. Okay. Anything I want to learn, anything I need to learn, I just go learn it. I'm not relying on my preceptor um, you know, it's not like school, like, oh, you didn't say that on the slide, and now it's on the test. This is real life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that so, complaint is so, uh, well, let's yeah. just say that complaint uh, resonates throughout the ages. <laughs>
0: right. You know, it's it's just, like I said, my, my perspective and my focus has shifted. I'm no longer a student in the, in the formal sense, as you would say, in a classroom sitting at a desk. Um, I am a student, but I'm actively learning on the job learning what I need to know, um, what's relevant. And, you know, right now I'm active on Twitter, and I use it as a professional platform and also as a news source for anything managed care, anything with pharma, any new drugs in the pipeline. I, I stay up on all of that. Um, and my Twitter handle is at Pharmacy Focus. So uh, I'd love it if you, anyone would follow me. Um, I'd love to follow other people to, to, to get great contact. Content as well. So, so how did
1: you how did you come up with the pharmacy focus name?
0: Yeah, you know, um, so one of my actually one of the people from my PT competition, um, competition His name is Ryan. He was our AMCP chapter president. He actually has a really active Twitter And so in a way, you know, we're classmates But I look to him as kind of one of my first mentors in managed care his Twitter handle is at medical momentum and I thought, wow, that just really has a ring to it. Um, as opposed to just doing, you know, at Sarah Vandywall or, you know, at whoever your name. Um, and I really wanted to have a professional focus with my Twitter. Um, so I thought, you know, this is going to tell people what my, what my Twitter is, uh, topic is. Uh, So, you know, right away that this is not going to be random updates from the basketball game or anything else. This is professional focus. This is you know me updating you on things that I think are relevant <laughs> you're making me feel I'm bad interested. about mine
1: I put my triplets up there all the time but yeah uh, but um. it sounds like you're still social but you're able to follow the people that you want and that um, going out from maybe a LinkedIn that's kind of more of a CV and uh, uh yeah. Facebook which tends to be very social but personal. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you've you found a platform for uh, what you're both interested in following and finding and really making connections.
0: Right. Definitely making connections, but also, you know, putting any content out there myself. I'd love to be a contributor, even though I'm still a student. Um, you know, I can make available contribution with tweeting about the AMCP conferences, what I'm learning there, tweeting about my rotations and anything new that I'm presenting on, what I'm researching. So um, it's definitely a great platform. And I really can't thank my friend Ryan enough for, um, you know, inspiring me and helping me to really get a, a presence on Twitter.
1: hopefully he'll retweet this out to his uh, massive network, but I did want to ask you, I I just talked to someone uh, from Colorado saying that they got on Twitter because the conferences were on Twitter, so it was that she went to the conference and because she Mm -hmm. went to the conference and the connection was actually on hashtag something, that was how Mm -hmm. to talk to people. Have you found that to be the case too?
0: Um, You know, every nowadays, the conferences I go to, everyone has a you know, a hashtag that that I always put um and things like that. I wouldn't say that a, a conference a conference handle or hashtag necessarily push me to get started on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But I think it's definitely a way that I've connected with other um attendees of AMCP meetings or any other conference that I go to, MSHP. Uh, Minnesota society of health system pharmacists. So, um, really, I think you just need to use these social media tools to your advantage, um, and focus on something you're passionate about. Um, and, you know, use it almost, I use it as a news source and a teaching tool. I use it as a first source where I can, you know, a quick flash of what's happening today. What's the latest? Um, because especially in managed care, you have to be up on everything. Um, you know, well before it's hitting the market. And I think that's the piece that, you know, pharmacists in some other areas may not need to be tuned into as much as people focus on managed care.
1: Yeah, I think you're talking a little bit about something called Foam Ed, the the free open access medical education, and that you're getting the medical education that way. Because if you want to be up to date within the month or so, then you can read the journals. Mm -hmm. But if you want to be up to date to the minute, then really the social media is the way to go. Well, that kind of moves us forward to uh, how did you become a a leader? And maybe uh, one of your perceptions changed as that happened, or maybe... you've always been that way.
0: You know, it's it's hard to say, you know, okay, October whatever. <laughs> I'm a leader, I'm a leader. <laughs> day I became a leader, and then from then on, you know, before then I wasn't a leader, and after that day in 1995 I was a leader. <laughs> sure. um, you know, I, I don't exactly have a good answer of how I became a leader, but for me, at least in my mind looking back, it seems like I've always been one, you know, not to say, oh, you know, I'm so great. No, it's not like sure, that. But
1: sure.
0: um, it probably goes back to my work ethic again. And I was just taught at a young age how to be a hard worker, um, kind of by default. So um, I, we have a family business on my father's side in the candy industry, actually. That was started by my grandparents. Um, and I believe it was my grandparents were about my parents' age now, around 55, um, when they, you know, put out a loan for their whole life savings and opened up uh, a new location and a new store. Wow, they so went all they really all in. put everything on the line to grow this business, and they had to make it work. There was no alternative. Failure was not an option for them because they, you know, put it all on the line. So they worked very hard. And my dad has four brothers. So, you know, it was my grandparents and their five sons who they asked to, you know, uh, leave their careers. They had started and come back and work for the family business and they all did. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, since I was born, you know, my parent, my dad would take me on deliveries when I was two weeks old and my little (laughs) baby. So it's been a part of my life as, as long as I've been around, Um, and my parents and my grandparents really instilled a strong work ethic in me, and I think that just carried over to everything else I did, and it served me my entire life. So, you know, in sports, and soccer team, whatever I did, and in school, I always just gave it my best effort because that's what I knew how to do, and that's how my parents trained me and taught me. So, in high school, you know, I held numerous leadership positions, and in college, I was a house fellow at UW-Madison, which um, they term it house fellow there. It would be called, you know, an RA or a resident assistant sure. at any other college, you know, that that position. Mm-hmm. So, there, you know, it's not like I punch in and punch out as a house fellow. You know, these 50 students that you're assigned to and, you know, the hundreds that recognize you from... The greater, you know, residence hall network really view view you as a leader all the time, so you're never off.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you're always a good resource, and uh, as a pharmacist, you'll always be a resource. So it's uh, I just always amazed at how people get into pharmacy and how the things that they've done before relate to what they do in pharmacy, and it's really just changing the language a little bit or changing but still the skill set is the same, uh, a good ear, uh, being uh, having good advice, uh, that work ethic and those things. My wife's family is Dutch. And uh, my parents, in terms of what they gave me was, uh, I want to say I was 10 or 11 when I went to my first Toastmasters meeting. So it was basically, they shared their passion for public speaking and how they had struggled when they were younger, that they didn't want that to happen to me. So I've never struggled with public speaking because they started me so early. So it sounds like uh, you've got exactly. a great Team back home, you uh, got great opportunities in college, then went uh, to Minnesota. But every Mm -hmm. once in a while, things go a little bit wrong. Where's maybe a time things went wrong, and and how did you get out of it?
0: Gosh, you know, uh, you know, one of the questions that caught me off guard when I was applying to pharmacy school in my interview with the University of Washington in Seattle. You know, okay, they asked me a couple questions. It was a tough interview. Um, And then one of the professors asked me, oh, you know, it looks like your grades are good, your PCAT score is good. Um, You know, so on paper, everything looks good. But have you ever failed at anything? And that really caught me off guard. I guess I maybe should have anticipated it. But just even the language of how, how they posed the question was really kind of striking to me. So I had two options at that point. I could tell them about a time that I did fail, or I could, you know, kind of give a generic answer of, you know, something not so serious and kind of brush it off that way. What did you do? I decided to tell them in the situation that I really did fail. Um, you know, I took a, I thought, wow, this is kind of a risk, you know. They could really just look at me and be like, yep, you know, she's not good enough she's a she is a failure don't don't let her in (laughs) yeah so you know i guess this didn't happen to me necessarily as a leader but um it's probably one of the biggest challenges that i've overcome um thus far so i did undergraduate research um as uh during my time at uw madison with a great professor really awesome um, and I, I, applied my first year knowing that I probably wasn't going to get in, but I was just going to apply and he, I was surprised he took me. So, okay. I started as a freshman. So, uh, I had a, a an assigned graduate student preceptor who was great. I did a poster my first year wow. and then, um, was also part of one of the, the classes. Um, so I used it for a class presentation, kind of as this undergraduate research symposium, and then also, you know, representing the lab there. So that was a great experience, but then she was doing her PhD MD, so she went back to finish up her MD portion. Mm -hmm. So then I was kind of floating around, I didn't have a preceptor, and by default, I got assigned to another graduate student in the lab. So she and I actually had become friends, um, but what happened was um, there weren't set, clear uh, expectations set out. So, you know, I would come in between classes working, um, you know, maintaining the, it was a fruit fly lab, so I would come in and maintain the flies, make sure they got changed over to new bottles with new food, et cetera. Um, But, you know, apparently, this new graduate student I was assigned to would like me, you know, wanted me to have a set schedule, which she never relayed to me. So I'm not a mind reader. You know, I can't, um, I can't anticipate that without her telling me. So, you know, it's kind of, that happened and then we got new um, graduate students on rotation who didn't, hadn't handed flies before, didn't really know exactly what they were doing and what had happened was apparently some of the flies either got mislabeled or mixed up, and the, my new preceptor blamed it on me. So she's she was going through the flies, and they have different biomarkers, so you can tell by you know their wings might be curly, or um, you know it's a, a phenotype associated with a genetic change that we can actually look at under the microscope to identify the flies we're working with, and she noticed there was something wrong she blamed it on me. Um, and really after that, uh, she was actively trying to get me kicked out of this lab for a reason that I don't know. Because um, previously we had, we had been uh, close friends. So I sat down, I wrote a, an email to my PI and I sat down with him and I said, you know, I really don't know where this went wrong. I didn't do this to my knowledge, you know, um and there's no way to prove if it was me or one of these other guys, so he took me off of working with her, and I was just kind of working um on my project independently and then um helping the p i with some other things so
1: um, sounds like loyalty was a real real struggle yeah. there that you lost that loyalty and and then it was it was just you know you were there, but you couldn't really be there once that was gone
0: right i after that happened it was it was really bad um and I think other people were afraid of this other graduate student who was quite aggressive at times that they didn't no one else supported me really um which was difficult uh,
1: I know a lot about uh the difference between farm d and p h d And Mm -hmm. in many ways, uh, the way that things go down from professor to graduate student to whomever they can get under them, uh, Mm -hmm. that there's uh, just a helplessness when it comes to being that middle graduate student, and there's only a 50% graduation rate uh, overall with PhDs across the country. So on the one hand, I understand uh, that they probably had pressures. It's clear that they shouldn't have done what they uh, did in terms of uh, moving that down, but Uh, It's just so impressive that you got through that. You had this very Mm -hmm. difficult time. And instead of... um you know failing you went on to pharmacy school now you have this background in genetics now you have managed care now you're going to have this tremendous scope of practice ahead of you so yep. tell me a little bit about going back to the dutch strength which i'm sure got you through this uh, there's that my wife is dutch so i know this i saw yeah. this uh and you said work hard stay humble And I'm like, I know this, I know this. So tell me about how the the Dutch culture has gotten you on your rotations and gotten you through uh, Mm -hmm. some of these uh, APPEs. I know it's a very tough year.
0: Right. Um, You know, so like you said, I am Dutch. Um, So my father's side is obviously Dutch. And my mother's side, her maiden name is Vanessa, and she is Belgian. So really, I'm, you know, almost 100% Dutch. It's just the country below the Netherlands is sure. Belgium. So, uh, in in at UW Madison, I took an, a Dutch culture class just to fill up some humanities credits, and you know I was interested in the topic because I'm Dutch. So that's where I kind of first learned all. Uh, you know, work hard, stay humble is one of the mottos of Dutch culture and the Dutch people. So. I kind of took it on as my personal motto, and it's not like I had to adopt it and change what I was doing. It's kind of what I already had been doing, um, and maybe, like I said, you know, this is just in my DNA in more ways than one, through uh, through nature and nurture. So, um, starting my rotations this year was a big change of pace. You know, it's just. Different than being in school and right away. I started out on my acute care rotation, which a lot of people consider to be the hardest rotation in the ICU of a large hospital in the Twin Cities so um, I worked really hard to get up to speed on literally everything Um, My preceptors were really good, but they were challenging they wanted me to know and um, I think you know at the end of my (laughs) first 5 weeks my preceptor said you know i think it's good for us to be a little intimidating because it makes you work harder and i really learned a lot from them um and i i worked hard to try and show them that i knew what i was doing that i cared about doing a good job and um it was very you know i was there from 6am to you know 2:30 anywhere from 2:30 to 4:30 pm so long days and um I would get up in the morning and I would tell myself, you have to be intense. These these preceptors are intense, the other physicians you're working with are intense, and you have to be intense, you have to match their level and then raise them one. This is what I would tell myself subconsciously every day. So then, kind of after, at the end of that rotation, I realized I've been telling myself this every morning, this is my new motto, be intense. And really that's what I've been doing in pharmacy school. I would be I, I can't study at my house or in my room really. So I would stay in um, this basement library of our pharmacy school and usually twelve thirty was the earliest I'd leave every day, but usually till, you know, either one to three AM every single day. Wow in pharmacy school. So, you know, I was intense student. And I transitioned that to being intense student on rotation, not to only work hard, but to already have worked hard to be present in the situation with the answer, and being confident about what you know. I had to, you know, I had to be intense on this acute care rotation and every other rotation I've been on since then. So it really struck me just one day that that this was the new um, model for me, from the key to my success as a pharmacy student. And just going back to what I said earlier, having the passion and the zest to want to teach yourself and um, everything I needed to know and just working as hard as I could to get the job done right. So my boyfriend suggested a, a kind of a combination of these two models. So <laughs> he said you should change it from being t- and I, I, sometimes I would tell him, be intense and then be more intense. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you should change it to be intense, stay humble. So that's a good one, you okay. know, because, you know, I got to bring myself back down to earth as well. well I- um, so that's what I'm going with right now. He actually just bought me a, a sign that says that he had someone paint a, painted on a sign for whatever cube I end up
1: in. That's awesome. Um, next That's, year it sounds like you're gonna be uh, interviewing for residencies we'll talk about that in a second yeah. but that would be I guess the ultimate compliment if uh, back when they started talking about you after the interviews that they're like well here are the ones that we are on but this person was just intense we got to get her <laughs> you know that would be really cool and and it's really tough to stand out in a way that is I guess uh, There's so many people that go to residency, uh, interviews, so many people going to ASHP and to stand out. How do you stand out? And when someone's passionate about whatever it is, regardless of what it is, it just shows so clearly. And having been on interview on the interview side of things, it's always uh, so clear to us that. There's this person, and, and I, it just seems like you're going to be one of those people that are going to be like, okay, this one's for sure. Uh, what about these other ones? So hopefully that ends up being the case. But what, mm-hmm. what are you looking forward uh, to? What's the thing that you're most excited about now?
0: You know, what I'm the most excited about right now, like you said, is um, seeing how these next four months are going to pan out to see where I'm going to be next year. Um, you know, it's the biggest thing on my mind right now. Um, Obviously, I'm excited to learn as much as I can uh, in the rotation of where I'm at right now and the rest of my rotations, Um, but really, you know, as I'm kind of shifting my focus towards starting my career, I want to know where I'm going to end up. Um, My ideal uh, end game would be a managed care residency, and actually I'm going to visit one of the places I'm applying on Monday. So I set up a site visit with a location in another state, and I'm uh, traveling there. Um, But really, um, I'm also interested in places in the Twin Cities as well as around the country. And so seeing how that's going to pan out and what the future will bring um, is really the most exciting. You know, I'm ready to be a pharmacist. Uh, Right now, I feel like I'm a pharmacist. Well, I tell myself you are a pharmacist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the only person you know, telling not quite sure <laughs> The only telling you the person telling you no is the board of Pharmacy. but besides right. that you're you're yes. and and I understand you're uh, those of us that have been in practice for a while and and you know you could come to us and like, okay, well you take the naplex and we're like, oh boy. So in some ways, uh, the clinical part, those things that you know, you're up to date on, uh, you, know, you could kick our butts with uh, on many levels. So, but what blanket advice maybe do you have for someone wanting to get where you are? What are the what are mantras or what are the, the, the mm. advice that you have?
0: Yeah. You know, it goes back to kind of a revised version of my motto. It's work hard, stay humble, be intense if you're not intense, if you're just there trying to make it through the day on a Friday, people notice that, you know, always be on and network. You know, I've had, you know, prospective pharmacy students reach out to me. um, and I'm more than happy to answer their question because people have done that for me. And right now as a, a student ready to graduate and ready to start my career. I'm getting a lot of help from current pharmacists, which I'm so grateful for. So don't, um, I say, you know, someone who's my age or you know, even a pharmacist in practice now, don't be afraid to reach out to someone who's in the position right now where you want to be at because you want to know how they got there, what they did, who they contacted, everything like that. Um, it's huge.
1: Okay. And so then- just
0: follow whatever passion you have yeah
1: so how would you have uh, prefer that people contact you
0: yeah you know um probably my my email is a great way to contact me it's um v a n d e eight nine four at u m n dot e d u and again my twitter handle is at pharmacy focus
1: okay and, I'm also on LinkedIn. So oh, okay. You do you have one of those? Um, do you have one of those long names, or do you, is it just your name?
0: On LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, because if you don't tweak it, then it's.
0: Yeah, it's it's. Um, I have adjusted my URL to um, backslash Sarah Vandywall. Just all one
1: okay so you have you have gone through it okay yeah i've got i've got it on both sides where i'll see that and we can put that in the show notes too so twitter email uh, linkedin and linkedin i think is uh, now that microsoft bought it uh, in 2015 uh, certainly something that uh, i think everyone looking for a position should be on Uh, well what's your best daily ritual that keeps your work on track you you intense you work hard but what Mm -hmm. keeps you focused on things
0: yeah, you know, in days when I have to get a lot done, and certainly every day I, I really plan out my time. I will sit sit down and plan out work by the hour or by the half hour if I need to. I say I'm going to do this from 6 six to 6.30, 6.30 to 6.45 I'm going to take a break, 6.45 to 7.45 I'm doing this, and just plan it out um, and cross things off as I go along.
1: Wow, that's that's very committed. Okay, what's the best career advice you've ever received?
0: Um, the best advice I've ever received is, uh, you know, it sounds kind of cliche, but it's the advice you hear over and over and then you realize it's so true. Um, don't burn any bridges. Uh, pharmacy is such a small world and any specialty in pharmacy you get into is even smaller. Everyone knows everyone. And don't be afraid to reach out to anyone, um, students, pharmacists, um, professors, because really, um, especially for students, they are more than receptive to any contact that you initiate, and they're more than willing to help you out because someone has helped them out in the past.
1: Great, and then who or what inspires you?
0: Yeah, you know, my parents really inspire me. They work so hard uh, in the family business we work every Saturday from Halloween to Christmas, so um after I'm done talking to you, I'm driving back to Wisconsin, and I'm gonna work on Saturday and help them out um but really, in the heat of the Christmas season, they are up until two in the morning as well on a nightly basis. So if I'm not doing that, and my parents are you know I know my parents are there working, you know, how can I take a break when I know they're not, so it gives me the fire to keep working so hard as I have been during my fourth year of pharmacy school.
1: You're so lucky to have that continued connection uh, with them. Uh, My parents are in D.C. and and I'm trying to get back as much as I can, but it only amounts Mm -hmm. to maybe two or three times a year. But it sounds like you get to continue to have this great relationship with them, so hopefully your residency will keep you, uh, and I'm sure they're hoping that your residency in some way keeps you uh, nearby.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, the other thing I always thought, even in undergrad, and in pharmacy school, is that I'm the one who got a spot in the school. But for me, there's probably at least 10 other people who really wanted to be in pharmacy school who were unfortunately not accepted. So I owe it to them and to myself to give 100% because I'm sure they're sitting there saying, you know, I would have given it my all. So can't take anything for granted, like you said.
1: No, I, I, I definitely agree. Well, uh, you've given us so much, uh, good advice and, uh, really it's so clear you're passionate. I'm- Every interview I've done, uh, as someone's gotten to their fourth year, you you see how their passion has gone from just being passionate and intense and uh, to something very specific. And now mm-hmm. I'm so excited uh, for your residency. I I have no doubt you'll be accepted somewhere, but uh, I, I think that they're going to be very lucky to have you. But thank you so much for being on the Pharmacy Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. It was been a pleasure. <laughs>
1: If you're a Pharmacy Future Leader interested in being on the Pharmacy Podcast, please contact me on Twitter at Tony underscore PharmD. And if your organization is interested in sponsoring the Pharmacy Future Leaders Podcast, please go to PharmacyPodcast.com under contact and contact Todd Yuri. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to the Pharmacy Future Leaders Podcast with your host, Tony Guerra. Be sure to share the show with the hashtag Pharmacy Future Leaders.